church has been going through a journey of asking four questions. And these four questions and answers, they can be found in your bulletin. They're there each week for the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to show them on the screen again so that they're before us. And those questions are, why do we exist as Exeter Christian Reformed Church? Why do we exist? How do we behave, as we heard this morning? How will we succeed? And what do we do? As mentioned previously as well, if you're visiting with us today and over the next few weeks, these sermons will still apply to you because these questions can be asked of any organization, your own businesses, they can ask, be asked of any church, they can be asked of individuals personally as well and use them to challenge ourselves. But we're going to be applying these questions to the life of the church and specifically to Exeter Christian Reformed Church. So the first week, a couple weeks ago, we kicked off this series with the challenge and command from Ephesians 5.10 to find out what pleases the Lord. Last week we were challenged and commanded to be salt and light as we heard from a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5. And this helped us answer why do we exist. We exist to glorify God by sharing Christ through word and example. So today as we seek God's desired future for Exeter CRC, we ask and partly answer the second question, how do we behave? And we'll hear a message on this question this week and next week as well. The answer, we as Exeter Christian Reformed Church behave as followers and witnesses of Jesus with love, justice, humility, and hospitality to all people. Now answering this question has to do with answering what is important to us. It is to answer what are our core values. And, and this is where we may start to differ from other Christian Reformed churches and even other denominations a little bit. In fact, individuals amongst ourselves may even differ on these answers. Because what is important to us may not be important to another church body and vice versa. And what is important to you personally may not necessarily be a value of our church. The core values of our church will determine how we behave. The core values of our church will typically attract certain people, and and other people may not be attracted to it. Let me just give you an example. When we studied this question as a council, I think about a year ago, um, we read a story about an airline with one of its core values being humor. The airline will not hire anybody who does not share the same core value of humor. And they will defend their employees when customers do not appreciate humor. In fact, they receive a letter from a frequent flyer who didn't appreciate the flight attendant making a joke before the pre-flight safety check. This person figured that humor should not have been mixed in with such a serious topic of safety. Now, safety, as is humor, is a core value to the airline. Now, most CEOs would respond by saying that the customer is always right and thanking them for the letter, and they would ensure that this, this incident doesn't happen again. However, for this airline, humor was stated as a core value. Instead of apologizing to the customer and expressing how things will change, he wrote a letter in return with three words. We'll miss you. Humor was the company's core value. Yes, it was extreme, But you got to admit, it's funny. In this passage from Micah, the foundational values of loving God and loving one another, they're assumed, okay? Scripture talks about this all the time. But the core values of how that love can be lived out 
It wasn't being consistently lived out among God's people. And so here we have it expressed to us in Micah 6, 1-8. What is important to God and to his people in this context? So as we read this passage, take note as this passage begins with a courtroom scene. God is a judge and a jury, and there's accusation that the people are not living out how they are called to live out. So in this passage, God has a case against them, and he charges his people. And then God continues to remind his people what he has done for them and tells his people what is important. He tells people how to respond to God's love. He tells people how to behave. And so this morning, we're going to focus, as Betty did during the children's message too, on the familiar verse 8. God has shown you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? How are we called to behave? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Before we read from Micah 6, let's come to God in prayer. Father God, throughout your word, there are principles and foundational beliefs that are not changeable. And you call us to love you, to love one another, and to share the good news of Jesus to all people. And you also desire us to follow you and live out our lives reflecting that we follow you. So through your word again this morning, instill upon us what is important to you and also should be important to us as Exeter Christian Reformed Church in living out the gospel each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Micah 6, verses 1 to 8. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my cause before the mountains, let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? Have, how have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted it, and, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you. O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have Micah, who's a prophet among the Israelite people. And he was prophesying that God has made certain standards for his people. God has certain expectations for how his people are to live and to behave. Already back in the days of Moses when the Israelites were in Egypt and freed from their slavery, God made a covenant with his people. God made a promise with his people Israel. First he said, I am your God. You are my people. And then God told them that if you obeyed him, he told the people that if they obeyed him, they would be blessed. But if they disobeyed God, then they would be disciplined. Now it makes sense. That obedience leads to a good life and blessing, and disobedience has its negative consequences. And you've got to understand that this is not so much different in our households. In the children's message, Betty alluded to, how do we show this to God? How do we show this to our parents? Households and, and our walk of life, our Christian walk of life, are very similar. 
If children obey their parents, things will go quite well. But if you live in disobedience to your parents, parents then need to discipline because they want the children to learn and be responsible and ultimately make proper decisions for their lives according to what the family feels are its core values. Discipline or discipleship leads to learning. It leads to growth. It leads to learning certain behaviors that are in line with God's will. So Micah pointed out to the people that they disobeyed God. And so God was justified in disciplining his people. God's discipline showed that he cared for them, that he loved them. His discipline wanted to bring people back to loving God and following his will. Now the Israelite people at this time were kind of living a lifestyle like a rebellious son or daughter. They were kind of living just disobedient and carefree and no regards for rules which were created in order for people to flourish. It wasn't to hinder people. The Jewish people enjoyed doing whatever they wanted and they enjoyed being popular among the nations around them. They felt that, okay, if they said sorry to God every so often, then that would be enough. And then they could continue living on however they wanted, especially since God is gracious and compassionate God. So the Israelites' way of saying sorry to God was through sacrifices. The priest would offer an animal sacrifice which represented the sins of the people. And this would represent that the people were then forgiven of their sins. But after a while, what was happening was that the sacrifice that the priest offered, they were doing it, but it was just becoming a regular ritual. The sacrifice didn't mean much to the people. I mean, they would probably say that our sins are forgiven because we just saw the priest sacrifice another lamb for us, but they failed to do anything about it. God's grace resulted in forgiveness of sins, but God's people are called to respond to God's grace, to respond in gratitude and thanksgiving in a way that is pleasing to him. Israel was under the impression that if a lamb was sacrificed for them, then this was enough for their obedience towards God. That was enough response. It's like saying, yeah, I'm sorry. And it didn't matter how they lived their lives beyond this. It didn't matter that the rest of the week they were doing whatever they pleased with whatever nation they wanted. As long as they did what they were supposed to do for that one sacrificial hour, and as long as they had it all together for that one hour of worship, then the rest of the 167 hours in the week could kind of be a free-for-all. So Micah in verse 7 actually gives an exaggerated example to the people. He says to the people, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of oil? I mean, as if, right? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's using an exaggeration here. It's like us saying to God, should I offer $100,000 to God or, or all my savings, all my investments, or give up whatever I might see as valuable and important to me? You see, nothing, nothing we could give up could possibly cover our sins. Micah is saying that, that all that offering might be good, but Israel is still missing the point. It's no good if you're missing the point. God forgives you out of his grace and love. And he wants his people to live out that forgiveness in their lives. To him and towards others. 
He wants his people to respond out of thanksgiving and obedience and not keep sinning and take God's grace for granted. Our God provides us forgiveness of all our sins through Jesus Christ. And that cost Jesus his life. Jesus gave his life to save us from our sins. So nothing in this world can ever begin to repay God for what he did for us. Forgiveness is no small thing. Forgiveness is an amazing act that God did through the once and for all sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And next week, we're going to talk more about forgiveness from Ephesians 4 and 5, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, be reminded of God's amazing grace and forgiveness of all our sins. Sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel were important. They were important outward expressions. But was also important was the expression that was expressed through their inner heart. God wanted his people to put their trust and faith and dependence on him for his rich grace and mercy. Depend on him for forgiveness of sins. You see, God cares what's inside our hearts. And just as Israel was God's people, we too are God's people. And we too have a high and holy calling And God doesn't want us to turn our backs away from him. God doesn't want us to hide from the ritual of going to worship just for one hour a week and doing whatever we want with the remainder of the 167 hours of the week. Our God hates sin. God hates sin. Now I have to admit, when I was first going through this passage and thinking, of course, God hates sin, Often what comes to mind is you think of sins of others, right? You think of what's, what's going on in the church, what's going on in our denomination, and we tend to think about the, the many issues, the sinful issues that are going on. And I'm not talking here about the top five issues. I had to reframe my, my, my view. I'm not talking here about the five issues that are going on in the CRC or other churches. You know, I'm not saying there's five. There could be ten. There could be two. But I'm not talking about the main issues I'm not referring to the Bible's position on various hot topics, whether it's related to sex or finance or greed. That's not what's going on here. Too often, I think, what happens is we will focus our attention on these big-button issues in our church. And they are important to be focused on. Don't get me wrong. But what happens when we focus on, we get distracted. And we get distracted by what's going on in here, in my own life, in our own life, what's going on in our church So let's talk about what you and I do. Let's talk about how our church behaves. And how often don't we, as individuals, but as a church body, tear each other down or tear down the church? We are often unity breakers. And that's through unhealthy conversations or unhealthy behavior. And that's why it's necessary for churches, churches in plural, but our church as well, to determine what is a core value. How is God calling us, his people, to behave? Yes, the CRC needs to have certain positions and and Christians need to have certain positions, but what about Exeter Christian Reformed Church? What is important to us and what is not? 
it is necessary to speak of the things that are important to us and maybe just not speak so much of the things that are not important to us corporately. They might be important to you or you or you or me, but if they're not important to us, we can let them be. And let's build the body up, not tear the body down. Let's focus and determine and discern what God is saying is important to us. And that will move us forward into pleasing God and finding out what pleases him. So God hates sin. And we have to look at our sins. We have to look at the corporate sins. But I also want to say, and Scripture says, that God's lo- God loves the sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. God still loves us. And we get that from this passage again, too. Because he says, I will show you what is important. I will show you how to behave. In a book titled Building a Discipleship Culture by Michael Breen, Breen broke this verse, verse 8, down into three main areas of ministry. And it's a general idea, but I think we can use it. So he breaks it down into three areas of ministry that every church should have and every church should live out. How each church lives it out might be somewhat differently, and again, we can discern that and through God's Holy Spirit for our context. But here's a slogan that we can easily remember. Reach up, reach in, reach out. Reach up towards God. Reach in towards one another and reach out towards all people. A follower of Jesus, someone who walks with Jesus, needs a lifestyle of this balance in all our relationships. And that balance can be obtained by reaching up, reaching in, reaching out. Very easy to remember, right? A follower of Christ doesn't necessarily say, oh, let's get this one in order first, and then we'll work on the other two, or this one and the other two. No, we need a balance of reaching in, reaching, reaching up, reaching out. We need a balance of all three. So we can walk humbly with our God, reach up. We can love mercy, reach in, and we act justly, reach out. So how do we as Exeter Christian Reformed Church behave? Well, the answer that we've come up with as leaders and as a congregation, we behave as followers and witnesses of Jesus. We reach up with love, justice, humility, and hospitality to all people, reaching in and reaching out. So let's look briefly at this verse in light of these three phrases. Because God calls us to walk humbly with him. And we heard through the children's message as well. I'm really pointing to the children's message, but Betty did focus on this verse. This this is an exercise to also pray and listen to God, but it's not only an exercise to pray and listen. It is an exercise to, to listen to God from his word. It is an exercise to communicate and converse with him. But it's not only referring to talking humbly with our God, but walking humbly with our God. If you have something significant in your life, you can talk. It's important that you talk with that person. You can talk all you want to that person, and you should. But you also have to walk with that person. You have to participate in their life and they in your life. And walking with our loved ones should not be a duty. It should be a joy. We're called to walk with Jesus. We're called to talk with him, listen to him, walk with him, knowing that he's always with us. And, and he is with us when we choose to do our own things, sometimes disobedient, 
And when we choose to do his things, obedient. We're called to commit to him, not out of duty, but out of joy for what he has done for us. We reach up towards our God. We walk humbly with our God. We're also called to reach in. To reach in towards one another. This can be love mercy. Again, there's some overlap with all these. But reaching in, we love mercy. Often we talk about the words of grace and mercy in our, in our midst, right? We hear those words often. Grace is giving something to someone when they do not deserve it. So, giving something to someone when they don't deserve it. Grace is God's forgiveness given to each of us. All our sins are forgiven. Grace is God's forgiveness given to each of us when we don't deserve it. That's grace. Mercy is not giving something to someone when they do deserve it. So mercy is not getting punished by God when we deserve punishment. So extending mercy to our fellow believers means that we don't give them something when they deserve it. And it's part of grace, too, giving them something when they don't deserve it. It's having compassion when we think that they don't deserve compassion. It's having forgiveness when we might think they don't deserve forgiveness. But we reach in to one another. Even when their behavior may be uncalled for or outside of the box of what we're used to, we extend mercy. And again, we're going to talk more about this next week as well. The point is that we're called to reach in to each other. Not just the ones we like, the ones we don't like. We reach into each of God's people. And we have to be intentional. And that takes work as well. It just doesn't come natural. We have to work at it. God has created us to be in community, and he has given us the community of the saints. And although we are a church, we are the community of the saints, we still need to be intentional to work on our relationship. To work on our relationship with God, reach up, but also work on our relationship with one another, reach in. We have the opportunity to, to model healthy relationships. We model that to one another, and then that will also be seen beyond the body. And so we're also called to reach out towards all people. As Micah 6.8 says, act justly. Last week, for those who are here, we talked about Matthew 25 and the various people that we're called to reach out to. Jesus, in many instances, healed the sick. He showed care to the widows. He loved the sinners and paid attention to the outcasts. Jesus acted justly. He found himself in situations in which he helped to right the wrongs in this world. And he saw a lot of wrong, and he strove to make it right. Got killed for it, but he did. And you can say that mercy extends to this area as well by acting justly. And again, there is overlap. Of course it does. But God calls us to act justly. There are things in this world that are not the way they're supposed to be. There are things right here in our country, in our towns, in our schools, in our churches, in our homes, that are not the way it's supposed to be. There are things that God would want to see changed, and he wants us to change them. And nothing we can do can repay God 
for His Son dying on the cross for our sins. Nothing we can do can repay God for forgiving our sins. But God desires us to respond to Him in obedience. God desires us to have a change in our attitude. He desires us to have a change in our behavior and our actions. He desires us to have change in our hearts. And people, we don't do this on our own. As Micah says, God has shown us what is good. God has shown us what is important. What God has done for us through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And God has shown us how to respond. He has shown us to act justly. He's shown us to love mercy. He shows us to walk humbly with our God. And God has shown this to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so He's challenged us to intentionally reach up to Him, to reach into one another and reach out to all people. And we don't have to initiate new organizations or even write books. But God is calling us as a church as to how we're, we are to behave And we have to talk about what things are important to us now. Again, not just to you and to me, but to us as a church body. So what's important? And how can we live out these core values in our church, in our community? We need to know what our core values are. Not just assume that we know them. We need to know them together as one body. For us to transform the world, we first need to transform as individuals and as a church body. And just a reminder that the Holy Spirit does the transforming. We just have to be obedient. We have to be obedient to His leading. So let God show us how to behave. Let God show us how to act justly, how to love mercy, how to walk humbly with Him. And let us intentionally and continually learn and grow and be on the journey of balancing the reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out all to God's glory. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you for all that you have done in restoring your relationship with us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we reflect and understand all that you have done, may we respond in thanksgiving and gratitude. May we respond in seeking you and behaving as your people and as your body as you desire. Lord, may we be people who have a balanced relationship of reaching up towards you, reaching in towards one another, and reaching out towards all people. And through your Holy Spirit, transform us more and more into your likeness so that your church and this community and this world can be transformed to your glory and honor. We pray for your Holy Spirit upon this church and upon this community. We pray for the glory of God to be present through Exeter Christian Reformed Church and and her people. Use us for your purposes and for your kingdom here on earth. And it is only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.